0: Good evening, everybody. It's great to be with you all. I think the last time I spoke here was probably in 2018 or 2019. So it's a pleasure to be with you all. And you know what's even a greater pleasure? They're not videotaping us anymore in this service. So you can, like, walk around as far as you want. You you can say whatever you want. I can interact with the audience. So that's great, too. I'm excited about that. So it's good to be with you. I thought uh, Pastor Tim was asking me to, um, one, give a message tonight from the Word, but also give a little bit of an update about our family, what we're doing in Africa. So I'm going to do that a little bit before, and then we're going to jump in uh, to the Word. Does that sound good? Yes. Okay. So here's my family. My wife is here. Lauren, I know you're going to hate me for this, but can you stand up and just give a little wave? So. <laughs> That's my wife, Lauren. And these are our four children, Treth, Naya, Ada, and Tate, ages 13 to 7 now. They're growing quick. And um, we had probably our last two years in Tanzania. We've been in Tanzania since 2011, off and on. And this was our third term that we did. Our terms usually are about two years. And this last term was just uh, probably the best term we've ever had as a family, uh, I think mostly because we were serving more together as a family, it wasn't just me doing a, um, a uh, agricultural or a missions job, it was uh, more serving as a family, and I also think one of the big things of that was um, uh, my wife didn't have to homeschool anymore. We finally sent our kids to a school, an international school in our local town of Morogoro, and that has um, enlarged our realm of influence of people that we get to um, live with, work with, impact, and it's also been a blessing for Lauren that she could pursue more studies online to have a master's in biblical studies. That's been a great kind of development in our lives this last two years, but um, we're just praising God for a really good two years as a family. There was lots of challenges. Um, like you guys had COVID, well, we had COVID too. It was kind of on the other end of the Spectrum there where they kind of said it didn't exist, <laughs> so but it was still there um, in one degree or another. Um, we had some immigration challenges. Immigration uh, confiscated our passports for three weeks for our three children right when we got there. That was a bit stressful. Um, and then just different um, organizational struggles over the years that um, made us cling to Jesus closely. So, But overall, it was a very good time. You can go to the next slide. Um, my work has changed a bit, but the why that we're the reason we're in Tanzania is still the same. It's Matthew twenty four fourteen, the gospel of the kingdom shall be proclaimed to all nations as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Right. It's Revelation five eight. At the end of the age, we see this beautiful picture in Revelation 5.8 where all the tribes, tongues, and nations are gathered before the throne of Jesus and they're worshiping him. That's what keeps us going there. That's why we're involved in reaching the remaining unreached people groups of Africa, especially in Tanzania. It's Muslim groups like this old man right here named Mzee Goa. Mzee Goa is a friend of mine and... That's why we're there, that's why we keep going. But the way that we do our work has changed a bit. Um, the first couple times that we went to Tanzania, I was working in agricultural mission uh, jobs for an orphanage project or a business as mission company. Now I work mostly with African churches trying to help them send their own missionaries. So that's why the hat is switching from me onto Mze Goa there, symbolizing that. I'm focused much more now on equipping and training and working through the African church for um, for much of what I do. And it's it's been a real blessing. I'm so glad that um, the Lord has brought me into this role. Next slide, please. Um, another role that, that I'm involved with quite a bit is just mentoring and coaching young men. Um, just helping them find their path in life to help them figure out what the Lord is calling them to, and that has been a wonderful blessing in our lives, and I also think it's probably one of the most highest impact things that I'm involved with. We have some young men that live with us actually at our house. We have a guest house at our house and have a workshop there, and they often will work there for um, a short period of time and get some money and then go back home, and that, that's been a real delight as well in our lives. Next a this is the training center that I work at. It's called Sanga Sanga, and it is near the Uluguru Mountain Range in Tanzania. It's about 20 acres. There's an ag demonstration farm there where we take church planters, missionaries, pastors through better ways to um, grow food, better ways to raise animals by introducing them to improved um, breeds of animals and also improved feeds. Um, and we, it's also kind of like a hub for Bible training for pastors that are way out in the bush and they can't go to a Bible school, but they can come to a training center for a week, take a short module course, and then go back and still lead their local fellowships. So that's where I do most of my work in training and networking. And, um, yeah, it's, it's been a great, that place has been a real joy for me. I've been doing some agricultural development projects there, too. And so it's been a blessing. Go ahead. This is um, an example of a small church that was planted in a very Muslim area. Um, And it reminds me of that verse in scripture that says, Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. If you've ever had the privilege of watching someone from another faith come to Jesus, especially a Muslim or a Hindu that comes from a background where they get persecuted for following Jesus, it's an amazing thing. And it's only something that happens by the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit draws them. And this is an example of that kind of church. My friend there in the blue, who who you will hear about later, his name is Pastor Manungu. He is an amazing man that God has used to plant that church there among the Waruguru people. So I wanted to, um, you can before Now, I wanted to also just say something that's a new development for me personally is I'm going to be stepping into a new job when I go back in August that is working, really um, focused on working with Tanzanian and African churches, trying to help them develop local models of way to send church planters. Like, for instance, with Manungu's church... Um, A model that they designed was to buy a field and grow crops on that field to raise up money so they could send local believers from their church to the nearby village so that they can plant more churches in that village. But that design, that model, as local as it was, came totally from them. They're not waiting on money from the West to do this, they're doing it themselves from a piece of land that they bought and selling their own produce to send out their own missionaries. And this is something that God is doing in Africa all over the place. And I would say especially among Muslims. There's lots of stories of Jesus coming to Muslims in dreams. God is doing amazing things in the Muslim world and we get to be part of it as his church. So, um, no, you can go back to this slide quickly. So if you want to open your Bibles, if you have them, to, um, we're going to be in Psalms 1 and we're going to be in Jeremiah 17, if you want to put your finger in those two places. I want to apologize ahead of time, I was reading over my outline today and I thought, man, this message seems a bit scattered, so it might just be a reflection of my feeling of life right now as I'm preparing to go back, <laughs> leaving next Sunday, but um, this message came out, of, um, came out of my experience last term in Tanzania, but also out of my experience of when I talk to American pastors and they ask me, Joel, how can I help my congregation to be more missions minded or more focused on their community? And the more I've thought about that question over the years, um, I'm by no means an expert in this area. Yeah, I'm a missionary, but I struggle with this just as much as anyone else does. It's very easy for me in Tanzania to be a dry, jaded missionary. Like you, I have a busy schedule. Um, Like you, I get distracted with many other things. And like you, I deal with things during my day in Tanzania that often make me want to go home sometimes. Things like corrupt police officers, things like government that's not just, things that make me very jaded and if I'm not careful, my heart can be very embittered to the people I live among. So this message is coming out of a desire, I think, a prayer for all of you and myself to have deeper roots in Christ. So the title of this message is called Deeper Roots and it's A question that I always ask myself how do I increase my own passion for my lost friends and neighbors around me in Tanzania, um, especially my Muslim friends? How do I not lose the desire to see them come to Christ and to sacrificially love them? How do I not lose that? So, with that in mind, I want to talk about a tree. Who likes trees? Good. We got some tree huggers here. Uh, that's good to see. So, this is one of my favorite. I plant a lot of trees in Africa. I'm involved with forestation stuff. So, the apple ring acacia. Its scientific name is called Fiderbia albida. This is in the acacia family of trees. This tree is unbelievably unique. God has uniquely created this tree for sub-Saharan Africa. And one of the reasons that it's so unique and I want to, if you can just take this picture and this picture of this tree and take it with you after this message tonight to help you remember Psalms 1 and Jeremiah 17, that would be great. Because this tree does something that no other tree does in the world. The scientific name for it is called reverse tree phrenology and what it does is it can actually flush out its leaves in the dry season. So in Africa, we have a dry season and we have a rainy season, okay? In the dry season, most trees lose their leaves, like our winter. So imagine a tree in the winter here when everything else is losing its leaves and that tree sprouts out its leaves. So that's what the apple ring acacia does. In the middle of the dry season, it sprouts out its leaves and it's in full glory when all the other trees are look like they're dead. How does it do that? Any thoughts? God created that way, but it has a secret weapon. And its secret weapon is a taproot that goes down 40 meters. That's equivalent in feet for us Americans, it's equivalent to 120 feet at least. So it has a taproot that drinks from the subsoil, the aquifer layer that we often will drill wells to. So it can go for three years sometimes without any rain and still have leaves, fruit and just keep going because it has this incredible taproot. There's villages in Zambia that know the special benefit of this tree that if you cut down this tree, you have to pay the village an ox because they know how good it is for their land and the benefits it is for farmers. Because not only does it have a deep taproot, but it's also in the legume family. And if it's in the legume family, do you know what that means? It means it puts nitrogen in the soil like a bean plant. So it benefits the farmers because it puts nitrogen for all their corn crops around it. You can go to the next slide. So this is a slide of a farmer in Zimbabwe who is standing next to the corn right underneath the tree and the corn outside is all yellow and short, okay? So not only does this tree benefit creation and all of that, but it also benefits farmers because it can put nitrogen in the soil. It mulches its leaves in the rainy season when they're planting their crop. It leaves its leaves down because it loses its leaves in the rainy season when they need the sunlight to come in for their corn. So it's like the perfect tree for a small-scale African farmer. So what is the advantage of this tree and why is it such a blessing to so many people in Africa? It's one thing. It's a huge, deep, deep root. Okay? Deep roots equals bigger, better, and more fruits. Okay? Deep roots equals better fruits. Let's read Psalms chapter 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And, in his, and on his law he meditates day and night. Three. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. Amen? Go to the next one. We'll read Jeremiah 2 right away, just to compare the two texts. Jeremiah 17, verses 5 to 8. Thus says the Lord, cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. Eight. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes. For its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought. Is not anxious in the year of drought. For it does not cease to bear fruit. Amen. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you give it to us to teach us and to lead us in your truth. Just pray that you would teach us now from your word. Amen. Um, What's similar and different about these two passages? Just real quick. You can yell it out. What are some similarities in these two passages that we just read? Tree stays green. Tree stays green. Has roots, yep. Both going into the stream. There's this beautiful picture about the tree in both of the passages. What else? What are they comparing and contrasting? Mm-hmm. Blessings from the Lord. It's comparing the blessings of the wicked and the curse of the. I mean, sorry, the blessings of the righteous and the curse of the wicked. Yeah, it's comparing and contrasting these two types of people. In Psalms one, it compares the differences between. Where we get our delight, right? He who delights in the law of the Lord. Jeremiah 17, where the person puts their trust. And then we have this beautiful connection with the picture of this tree. Why are these two passages important for evangelism, missions, and loving the people that God puts in our lives? First, I would like to say that I think it's because we all want to be like this tree. We want to be able to not be anxious in the year of drought. We want to not fear when hard things come. We don't want to miss a beat even through trials, but we often do, right? We want to be like this tree that we see in these two passages. You don't have to be a tree hugger. You just got to be like the tree, okay? You just got to like the tree. We want to be like the tree. Second, I think, and this is just from personal experience, but I think it's also something that I see in Scripture, when our passion for our lost world is low, it is because we are delighting and trusting more in the world and in man than in God. I'll say that again. When our passion for our lost world is low, it is because we are delighting and trusting more in the world and in man than in God. And often we don't even realize it. Let's look at Psalms 1 again. If you go back up to Psalms 1. But his delight, verse 2, is in the law of the Lord. On his law he meditates day day and night. I don't know about you, but it, that word meditation has kind of got a bad rap in our day and age. I don't know why. It's because of the New Age movement or what. But a righteous person finds deep satisfaction in meditating on the Word of God than being in and around the world. And that is because this world isn't our home. You know, we're, we're traveling through here. We're foreigners, we're sojourners, we're aliens, we're on a road trip here. This is not our home. Meditation for us as followers of Jesus, it's not just setting apart that special time in the morning or that special time in the evening where you bookend your two days. That is great, and we should all do that. But it's more of this active meditation, this active going over in our minds of the word throughout our daily activities, and how we should live in accordance to the scriptures. This delight may feel like a duty at times, but it's more of a joy. One commentator I was reading put it this way, he said, My friend, God has no plan or program by which you are to grow and to develop as a believer apart from his word. You can become as busy as a termite in your church. And believe me, I know termites. We have them in our house in Africa. They're busy. But you won't grow primarily by means of activity. You will grow by meditating upon the word of God. That is by going over it and over it again and again in your thinking until it becomes a part of your life. Pastor Kyle was just talking about this today. This is the practice of the happy man. I don't know about you, but when I am not delighting in God through his word or prayer or worship music for days or weeks on end, I notice that my ability to see opportunities and needy people around me changes. It's almost like I'm wearing a different pair of glasses. I stop praying for lost people at random times throughout my day. I find more excuses to not pray right there on the spot. I stop praying for healing with people because I think deep down my faith just starts saying that I don't know if I believe that. Um, I don't have scripture on the tip of my tongue to encourage a believer and often nagging personal sins and destructive desires start to get more of a foothold in my life, this slow fade leads to what we see in Jeremiah 17, where man starts to become bigger than God in our minds. And when I think about reaching our communities, reaching a neighbor, reaching unsaved family members, or just loving a really hard to love person, I think two of those things that are often stumbling blocks for us is we're not delighting in God enough, and then the second one often is a fear of man. And this is what we see here in Jeremiah 17. If you go back to the Jeremiah 17 passage, verses 6 and 8, he is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good Come, he shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. What is the difference between a shrub and a tree? Yell it out. Sorry? Sorry? Size? Size is one. And also the, sorry? Shallow roots. Shallow roots. Do you ever try to, you can just hook a strap. To your truck and around a shrub, and just yank it out of your landscaping. But a tree hey, now that's a whole nother story, right? The difference is the root the tree that sends its roots by the stream. That tree sends out roots by the stream, and it can outlast a drought, but a bush. It can't do that. It's going to dry up. Shallow root systems. The person who trusts in man rather than God would experience a dry and unproductive and lonely existence. The most important part of the tree is its hidden root system. Where it gets its nourishment from. Without a healthy root system, a tree will die. Without a healthy root system, a believer wilts. It's just how it works. That person may flourish for a season, but over a lifetime they wither. And in Jeremiah's life, it was the same way. If you ever want to read someone's life who had a tough time in scripture, you read Jeremiah. They threw him down a well, they put him in a like a cage. The guy had trial after trial that the Lord called him to. There's even a part of that book in chapter 15 where he calls God a deceitful brook like waters that were sought by a thirsty man but he couldn't find. And then Jeremiah writes chapter 17 where we read this, where he seems like he's stopped this foolish thinking about God. He's quit his despair and he's gotten rid of this trusting in man. He's gotten over this pressures of the public opinion. He learned to trust God rather than the opinions of man. And even in his own heart, because if you read verse 9 there, it talks about how deceptive his own heart was. He wasn't even willing to trust his own heart. I am, me personally, I'm by natural personality a people pleaser. And when I was young, my father who probably some of you know here. Who knew my dad, Dean Wilderson? Wow, lots of hands. Okay, that's wonderful. My father used to quote two scriptures over and over to me. One was, pride comes before the fall. He would say that before I was about to beat him in basketball, normally. But the second scripture he quoted to me a lot was, Joel, the fear of man is a snare. The fear of man is a snare. The fear of man is big... When the fear of God is small, nothing hurts our bold sharing of the truth like a small, weak view of God. Shallow roots produce poor fruits. Deep roots equals more fruits. When our focus is more on delighting in the world and what man thinks about something, we will be much less likely to take risks for the gospel, to pray, to move towards lost people, family members, neighbors, and this will result in a tree that dries up, lives in fear, and stops bearing fruit. It's just how it works, it's just how God has designed this Christian life. I have a friend, um, a good friend here in America, and he, um, we were talking the one day, it it was really neat, we were catching up after he came back from Tanzania, and God had put him in a very unique group of people through his son's um, sports activities, and he was interacting with almost a totally unsaved group of people, and we were talking about how he could better be a light in that area, and I asked him, how could the local church better equip you to reach this group of people or to share the gospel in some way and he said you know the big thing for me is I don't know how to bring Jesus into the conversation because when I get to that point it's like it's too awkward or it just gets stuck or I just don't know how to incorporate the gospel into normal conversation and he was wanting like he's like you know if they could teach me or Joel maybe you could teach me a script a recipe an equation that would just you know and, and those things are help, helpful, like that works sometimes, and they're out there, right? The, the old school way, um, back in my dad's day, was the Romans road, you know, and there's their bridge illustration that they used to draw on napkins, where you take them through the salvation plan laid out in Romans. And that's, that's fine. Overseas, in our mission, we use one called the Two Kingdoms, where it paralyzes where it paralyzes. It parallels light the kingdom of light, and the kingdom of darkness. And it's a beautiful way to share the gospel with Muslims. But I think for my buddy Tim, I don't think it was necessarily um, that he needed a certain script. I think what he needed more was deeper roots. He needed more abiding in his life. He needed a greater trust. And he needed less care of what people thought of him. And Honestly, that's what we all need more so. Because if you have that, there's a sense where the truth just kind of exudes out of you. And you're much less um, worrying about what you're going to be thought of when you share your faith. And the truth just comes out of you, exudes out of you. So technique helps, but our greatest need is often deeper roots in these areas. So I want to be as practical with you as I can tonight. Um, I can go on and on talking about these things, but I want to share some um, practical ways of people that I have known either overseas or here in America that I feel like are great examples of putting their roots deep into the Word of God, delighting in the law of the Lord, and not trusting in man, not having that fear of man that holds them back. And I want to share first about um, a friend of ours named Rachel, and Rachel is... A lady who we actually stopped and saw her, we took a trip out west this summer. And when we drove through her Midwest town, she felt called by the Lord a while ago to start a fair trade shop in her in her hometown. And as she was opening up this shop, her small group actually went and prayed over this shop. And they prayed that this shop would, that people when they would come in there, that they would just sense and smell Jesus that they would the whole shop would have the aroma of Christ and that the lord would always be on her lips as she was working there and people to this day often come in there and spill their stories they often enter her store and just want to have a listening ear and she has this great opportunity to minister her to her community through her business And she just listens to people, she loves on them, and she speaks truth through her business. And it's a beautiful thing. And it's one practical way that when we stopped and saw her, I just thought to myself, what a great way of someone who is deeply rooted in Jesus, but is being a natural blessing to her community. Amen. Yeah, it's like the tree. I know another family that had a desire to reach their, they wanted to better be a blessing to their street, their block in their neighborhood. So they came up with this idea that they were going to have a monthly barbecue at their house. And they were going to invite, think about this in your street and where you live, and invite the whole block, everybody, to come and have the barbecue. And at first, you know, they didn't get a lot of people, but as it went by, more people started to show up, and this barbecue, this step of faith, which was a big step of faith for them. They were scared to death to do this because they knew some of their neighbors. <laughs> <laughs> they were scared to death, but they did it, and God really honored this risk and this step of faith, so much so that some of these opportunities and relationships led to, to a discipleship opportunities, led to Bible studies and a greater sense of community in their neighborhood. Can we go to the next slide? I'm going to share with you another example about Mr. Manungu. Manungu is one of my best Tanzanian friends. He's a colleague of mine. He manages the workers at the training center I work at. He's kind of the guy that I work with there. I mean, I could go on and on about Manungu, but I'm just going to share one thing about him, is this man has taught me how to pray. Many of us in America, I don't know why, we're just scared to pray. We're scared to pray at random times. We're scared to pray with people, even when the Spirit's nudging us. Um, Even today, I just had a moment as I left (laughs) someone, I thought, I should have prayed for her. Why didn't I pray for her? Well, it's because it doesn't come up in the mind. But my friend Manungu, he prays so much, I often wonder if he gets any work done. He'll pray at awkward times. You never know when it's coming. A visitor comes on up to the training center and he takes off his hat and he just thanks the Lord that this person came. doesn't matter who you are. doesn't matter what language you know. He's going to pray for you. But my point is, we need to pray more as believers. We need to pray in the kitchen. We need to pray at the campfires. We need to pray in the car. We need to pray on the phone with people. We need to pray with our spouse. We need to pray in the parking lot. We just need to bring the spirit more into our daily activities. And if you feel awkward about it, ask your kid to pray. They do it more genuine anyway, okay? So pray, pray, pray. Next, next slide. I'm sharing these examples for you just to get a better sense of ways that we can not only have deeper roots, but also ways that we can reach our community in very practical, maybe out-of-the-box ways that you haven't thought of. Um, This is the school that my children go to. It's called Moral Gora International School. It's a wonderful school. And... um, Schooling for children, as some parents in here know, is always a touchy issue. Do you want to go for the greenhouse atmosphere that's really good, or do you want to go for the trial by fire atmosphere, where your kids can be a light in the community, but you know they're going to go through some hard things and you hope that you can debrief them at the end of the day? (laughs) Right? So it's always this balance. Do you do homeschool? Do you do the Christian school? Do you do this public school? What do you do? So we were a homeschool family for a while, off, mostly out of necessity, but then we switched to this international school, and we've been amazed at um, not only the ways that our kids get to be missionaries, but also in the ways that they're challenged in their, in their faith. I'm not saying that you need to send your kids to public school. That's a totally personal decision, but I know for us... We've been thankful to the Lord for the ways that um, our kids have come home with things that we've been able to disciple them through, or they've, we've been encouraging them to step out in faith when their Muslim um, friend asks them, why do you believe in Jesus? Well, that's crazy. Why do you believe in a corrupted word of God when the Quran's there? You know, what's wrong with you? Um. It's been a really good thing for us. And at this international school, it's very interesting because there's some, there's some unreached people groups in that school, some families that'll, in our town that send their kids there where, I know this is hard to realize for us Americans, but in their language, in their people group, there's not a known believer among them. So they're 100% Muslim or 100% Hindu. There's not a known believer in their language group. Think about that for a bit. It's amazing. Yeah, those kids go into English medium school so that they can speak English, but when they go home and they speak their local language or their people group that they, come, that they came from in Yemen or Pakistan or India, no one knows Jesus. And that's the reality of some of these areas. You can go to the next slide. Another way that has been a great... Um, Influence, a great encouragement in our life has been a small group. We started a small group in our town um, of people that spoke English so that we could study the Bible with them and we 've been so encouraged to see how this small group, which when we started it, we were like, you know i'm not sure how this is all going to go, but because <laughs> people are all at different spots if you've ever been a small group, you know this it's always like you're kind of a gambling are people going to mesh? what is this going to be like well Thankfully, the Holy Spirit really brought it together, and we were growing it together as a small fellowship, and we were even able to reach out and branch out and um, reach out to some of the families in the International School Network that were like this family right here that is um, a Hindu family that we actually... Had a meal at their house there. You can see we're eating on banana leaves. I always think that's pretty cool. We didn't use plates that day. We used their banana leaves because that's what they do in their special gatherings. Um, And we played cricket, which was very different for us. Who's played cricket here? You have. Wow, that's cool. It's kind of a different game for an American, but it's a cultural experience. So, yeah, a small group was such a great way to push us out of our comfort zone and to reach out as a small group of people. You can go to the next slide. Um, I'm not even sure what time it is. Kyle, is there a trap door that's going to just whoop me down here if I go too late? Um, <laughs> so my point here, friends, brothers and sisters, is there's no secret recipe to bearing good fruit, Right? Deeper, fr- deeper roots equals better fruits, okay? There's no secret recipe. It takes followers of Jesus who are delighting in God, meditating on his word, and not letting the fear of man roll over him, drinking deep from the word of God and sending that tap root like the apple ring acacia 120 feet down and being so anchored in the Lord that His presence, his aroma, his smell just exudes from you. Deeper roots means better fruits. I want to end, I don't do this all the time, but I want to end with a quote from a little shot in the arm from an atheist, actually. Who reads atheist authors here sometimes? If you don't, you should start, because it's good to know what these guys are saying about Christians, because often they point out blind spots that we're all self-deceived in some ways, and I find that reading what they say sometimes is very helpful for us. So I'm going to read to you a quote from a very famous atheist named Penn Gillette, and he wrote this little blurb after he was evangelized. He was witnessed to by a very impressive Christian young man. And he had this to say about the experience. You know, I've always said, you know, that I don't respect people who don't proselytize. Remember, this is Mr. Penn Gillette. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and a hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that, well, it's not really worth telling them this Because it would make it socially awkward. How much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I, as an atheist, or he's talking about himself, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you, and you didn't believe it, and that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I just tackle you. And this, this eternity issue for you Christians, is much, much more important than that. It's convicting, isn't it? I actually think this guy is much closer to the kingdom than what he realizes. (laughs) But that is a word for us believers to hear. And it should be a shot in the arm to all of us. We all have people in our life that we need to step harder to. We all have people that we need to love more sacrificially. We all have people that we need to share truth with more naturally and freely. Eternity is at stake. And sometimes we forget that, you know. So let's put down our roots deep. Let's bear fruit. And let me pray for you all. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for the ability to just come together as believers freely in a church. Many believers don't have this opportunity throughout the world. Lord, and we thank you that you live inside of us, that you love us that you tell us to go bear fruit, and that you give us the delight, the privilege to satisfy our hearts and souls in your word in a relationship with you that is more satisfying and delightful than anything else that this world has to offer. Remind us that this world is in our home and help us to take risks. Help us to love people that are hard to love. Help us to share truth with people that need it Help us to make ourselves available, Father, to this broken world and heal our broken hearts as we put our roots deep into you. Make us like this tree, Lord, this beautiful tree in Psalms 1 and Jeremiah 17 that sends its roots by the stream. In Jesus' name, amen.